Kia ora, I'm Damien Venuto, it's November 18th and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. The Ukrainian army has made major advances and taken back much of their country. Meanwhile, Russian casualties are piling up and Putin's forces are now responding with a barrage of missile attacks, a strategy that has inadvertently led to the deaths of two people in NATO-protected Poland. But as Europe heads into the cold winter months, there's still no indication of the war between Russia and Ukraine coming to an end. So what does this mean for the economies across Europe? Is there a risk that the rest of the world could stop caring about the struggle of the Ukrainian people? And with its back to the wall, could Russia pull the trigger on a nuclear weapon? Today, I'm joined by News Hub Europe correspondent Lisette Reimer, who joins us from Poland for an update on the ongoing war. Lisette, we've had quite a few events unfold in the last week. First, there were reports that Ukraine had taken back large swathes of Kherson city from the Russian army. Why is this development so significant? I think a lot of attention has been paid to Kherson for quite some time because it was one of the first and only regional capitals that... Russia has managed to take control of. It was one of the areas that Putin has claimed to annex. It is one of the southern territories that will eventually or could eventually help them to link up with places like Mykolaiv and Odessa and eventually Crimea so that he could have total control of that sweeping down from the east all the way down to the south. So there's been a lot of attention on Kherson as It represents who almost is in control of that war at the moment, who is making the most gains, who is dominating or controlling that front line. So with Ukraine recapturing that town, that city, that region, that indicates that Ukraine is in the position of dominance, that they are making the most progress, and that is a huge confidence booster. Half of this war is a mind game between the two countries. It is who is feeling comfortable, confident, strong, powerful, and who is feeling desperate, weak, and threatened. And that is why Kherson has been such a critical part, especially as we come into winter and everybody is feeling incredibly stressed about what that means for the war. So just when it looked like the Ukrainians were making some positive inroads, we then had reports that two missiles hit a base on the Polish border, killing two with initial blame falling on Russia before turning to Ukraine. You're in Poland at the moment. So what exactly is going on? Yes, so initially there were reports that a missile had landed in Poland. Now, that's the first missile to hit and land in NATO territory since this conflict began. Obviously, that just sent shivers up everybody's spines. This was the nightmare that everybody in the West had been hoping it would never come to. People were worried about what this might mean in terms of escalating the war, turning it into a wider war, even potentially if it got truly dire ending up in a third world war. That is how serious it is because NATO's treaty, the 30 member states are required to treat an attack on one as an attack on all. Now, 
as you've said, it has developed that Poland, NATO and the United States now consider the most likely scenario is that a Ukrainian air defence missile that was shot up in an attempt to intercept one of the more than 100 Russian rockets that were sent towards Ukraine has actually accidentally landed in Poland territory. It is being considered a tragic accident. However, the investigation is still very much ongoing. They are not saying with 100% certainty that that is the case yet. And President Zelensky is adamant that it was not a Ukrainian missile that has gone rogue, that has gone astray, whether it was accidental or not. He is defiant and adamant that it was not a Ukrainian missile. Today happened what we warned about a long time ago. This terror is not limited to our national borders. It has spread to the territory of Moldova, and today, Russian missiles hit Poland. It is not done and dusted yet. The investigation is still very much continuing. The site, I was out there this evening, the site of the strike is completely cordoned off, unlike anything I've seen in Ukraine with the missile strikes that we've seen happen there, where it's kind of a free-for-all. You can walk through the craters of the missiles. You can have a good look around. People treat them almost like playgrounds. They're so common. This one in Poland is so heavily guarded. There are police everywhere, emergency services cordoned off and just keeping guard over the site because it represents something so significant for this war and for the future of Europe and the world. The stray missile issue occurred amid a barrage of missile attacks by Russia on Ukraine, plunging much of the country into darkness as power sources were cut off. What does this tell you about the Russian strategy at the moment, Lisette? I mean, is this a strategy or just a sign of desperation from the Russians? No, it's definitely a strategy and it is a very, very effective one. So there's two parts to it, really. One is that we are coming into winter on this side of the world. It is freezing cold. When I say freezing, that's not an exaggeration. It is already snowing in Poland be even colder in Ukraine. I was there a month ago and it was already sitting around zero degrees. Winter is just so tough for Ukraine and that is when they have all of their electricity, all of their facilities up and running, working at full steam and they don't have missile and bomb damage to their homes. They have fully safe and cosy homes. Winters are still really tough for them. So this strategy to hit constantly the electricity networks and target the energy infrastructure across Ukraine is all about crippling Ukrainians day to day, every day their life is going to be torture. And actually, he, Putin and Russia is trying to freeze the Ukrainians to death. That is the reality of the strategy they are targeting en masse the energy infrastructure, so that at the moment I think there's something like 10 million Ukrainians living without electricity. That is just dire for these people. Many of them do not have homes that have full walls or ceilings or roofs. They are already struggling to take away electricity and heating, water supplies, gas. That is devastating. The second part of it is that every time Putin is humiliated or embarrassed or feels desperate, and you've mentioned desperation, every time he is put into a corner, there's a significant move that benefits Ukraine, he reacts with one of these huge barrages. About a month ago, 
there was an attack on the prized Crimea bridge that linked Crimea to Russia. It blew up that bridge temporarily. It was a huge win in terms of strategy for Ukraine, although they never claimed responsibility for it, but it certainly crippled Russia. And instantly we saw Putin respond with one of these significant days of random attacks all over the country. Russia's punishing missile barrage captured on dash cams and other cameras across the country. Proof of Russia's lethal reach and Ukraine's vulnerability in trying to stop it. And then we've seen this again, the largest attack that Russia has unleashed on Ukraine, and it just so happened to come hot on the heels of Kherson, which we've already talked about, how embarrassing that was for Russia, how desperate that would have made Putin feel and how he really wants them to come straight out the gate the next day or that week and show Ukraine who's boss effectively. It is just that simple, the pattern. Much has been said and written about the Ukrainian resolve and their willingness to keep fighting for their sovereignty. Do you think that these attacks are capable of breaking down that resolve and breaking the Ukrainian spirit at all? No, I don't. I don't at all. I think so much has already happened that would break a normal person or anyone into a million pieces and threaten their resolve. If they haven't broken yet, they're not going to. They actually grow stronger every time something like this happens. Not that they want it, but I think if you ask them following one of these horrific days where the entire country comes under fire, if you ask them if they are scared or if they are worried, they are almost offended and angry by the question because they are so determined to win this war and they just cannot stand the suggestion that Putin is frightening them or backing them into a corner because they know that they are winning the war on the ground at the moment at the very least and Putin desperately trying to attack from the skies is a reflection of how threatened he feels and they take great comfort in that. It's actually a confidence booster for them because they know every time he unleashes in the skies it's costing him money, it's costing him weapons and he cannot keep that up. This all does seem balanced on a knife edge at the moment. The further Putin is pushed out of Ukraine, the greater the world's concerns that the Russian president could pull the trigger on a nuclear weapon. So what is the current thinking around that? Do analysts believe Putin could go that way? I don't think there's any question that he's capable of it. I think everyone has learnt the hard way now to never call Putin's bluff, never underestimate him, never try and guess what he's going to do next because we've seen already that he has no boundaries and no limits to what he is capable of. The talk of nuclear weapons has always been there because Russia has got a lot of nuclear capabilities and that is genuinely frightening. There's been talk about use of tactical nuclear weapons which would maybe target a smaller area. Last time we were in the country, we were carrying iodine pills with us. We were very aware of the nuclear threat. It was something that was discussed in depth with our security teams and on the ground, making sure that we had various different ways to combat the exposure if it was to occur. I think that's more a worry for the rest of the world. It's more of a worry for us when we go into Ukraine because we're outsiders. For those who are in the country, it is the last thing on their minds. The Ukrainians are focused on 
what is happening right now to them, the torture and the pain that they're experiencing, the day-to-day trouble they have with power, electricity, heating, or getting constantly bombed if they're in one of those areas still close to the front line. They dismiss a lot of the questioning a lot of the concerns about a hypothetical nuclear weapon because they're just so focused on surviving what is being thrown their way at the moment. Listen, when this war started, the vast majority of countries around the world responded with economic sanctions against Russia. Have those economic measures had any effect on Russia? Yes, I think Russia is feeling the pinch. It's feeling isolated. There's a huge propaganda war, so Putin's not going to come out and admit that it's having any sort of impact on him. But it has to be because of just how dramatic those sanctions are. We know that he's losing money, losing men, losing weapons. It's impossible for us to know how much he has in the bank in terms of what he can still draw on. But the pressure has certainly been visible in the way he has been behaving uh, recently. So I think likely what we could see following this incident in Poland, because it has been perhaps not the major escalation that we worried about in the initial hours after we heard about it, but it certainly is something that has raised the stakes once more and caused all of the world's leaders, particularly at the moment all meeting with the G20 summit, to get around the table and consider what they're going to do to respond to this latest development. There has been a bit of a development with the G20. The member states released a joint deck declaration condemning the war and the United Nations has adopted a resolution calling for Russia to be responsible for reparations in Ukraine. I mean, do these public condemnations really mean anything though when you have the war ongoing? Are they going to have any effect on what's happening? I think that is a really tricky question because I don't think they should stop. The condemnations are powerful. They record something in history. They make sure that the world is sitting up and still hearing and still listening and seeing that it is something that is still top of every country's mind. It is also critical at the moment because of how much pressure everyone around the world is feeling as a result of the sanctions and the impact that's having on our back pockets, on people who are having to pay huge energy bills and gas bills because of the sanctions that are being placed on. And perhaps a time will come when people wonder if there is still a global need to keep on supporting Ukraine. And I think when leaders come out with these powerful statements And this message that, yes, we are all in it together, it reminds everyone that, okay, if Germany is doing it, then New Zealand should too. If the UK is still doing it, if everyone needs to be in it together because we are so much more powerful in our sanctions and all of our restrictions and our responses when we are all working together, one can't do it, one can't have an impact on such a big country like Russia. I suppose the other element in all this is that the war also extends beyond the Ukrainian borders in the shape of refugees that have had to flee Ukraine. So the last time that you were in Ukraine, you spent some time with a few of the refugees who had to flee their homes. My father, he's in army. He said, I need to go. My mom decided to stay with him. So I'm here alone. They aren't being discussed as much these days. What can you tell us about that ongoing crisis? Well, the numbers have dropped dramatically. I mean, the reason they're not being discussed as much as they were is because when the war first started, so back in February, millions left within a couple of weeks, and it was just such an overwhelming need for the neighbouring countries and for the west of Ukraine to help provide and comfort and shelter and food and lives, new lives for these families. Now a lot of 
Ukrainians have actually returned home, perhaps not to home, but to Ukraine at least, to be there and show their support, all part of this really tenacious, defiant, resilient nature that the Ukrainians have. They want to be at home. They don't want to run away. They don't want to be bullied out of their homes. So now people have kind of worked out where they can live in relative safety. So they might not be going back to their homes, which are really close to the front line. They might go to liberated areas like around Kiev, places like Bucha or Irpin, which were terribly affected, but are now relatively quiet places to live apart from the ongoing issues with landmines, which will take decades and decades to recover from. The need is huge. I spoke to, you know, so many people who were staying in small houses with nine family members that were all just squashing in together because that's all they had. Definitely the internal displacement is still incredibly serious. Listen, you said in a recent interview that you don't want New Zealanders to forget about Ukraine. So even with the good news we have coming in at the moment, what do you think we should keep in mind when we read about this crisis? I just always want people to remember that it could be us. It could easily be us. It is a whole millions and millions of families who are just like us, who had beautiful, vibrant, wonderful lives with children, with jobs, with parents and adventures that they'd go on in the weekend to beautiful landscape around the country that they love to explore, just like New Zealanders do. They had jobs that fulfilled them, that they loved. They had beautiful homes that they'd worked to create for and build homes for decades of their lives. And now that is all being put on hold. And I just think if we were in that position after eight months and someone said to us, oh, we're a bit tired of hearing about that because I've seen those bomb pictures before or I've seen that Russia has fired missiles at Ukraine before and I feel like I'm getting a bit bored of it. If you were in their shoes, how would you feel? I just always go back to that. It's that golden rule. Thanks for joining us, Lizette. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Sean D. Wilson with executive producer Ethan Sills. I'm Damien Venuto. You can follow The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in on Monday for another look behind the headlines.